The scripture reading for today is from 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 16, from the New International Version. Therefore, since God's mercy, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this is all surpassing, that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The word of the Lord. Good morning. You know, as I was listening to the passage this morning, um, it reminded me as a preacher that we preach not ourselves. And I would just say every Sunday, hopefully, I don't say this every Sunday, but I hope you know this every Sunday, that if there's anything of myself that gets through or heard, I hope you forget about it. And if there's anything that God speaks to you about or you hear from the Holy Spirit about, I hope you take that with you. Because I'm a human being called to a holy endeavor, and really my hope is always that you hear from God and not from Matt. And I just, just a, that passage just reminded me, Matt, you need to say that. So I'm, I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to say that this morning. And I, and I hope that you will always remember that. I'll probably remind myself and you again in the future. But just keep that in mind. We preach Christ and not ourselves. So I've got a question for you today, and actually a quiz. You ready to take a quiz this morning? 
It's a Bible quiz. And it's a very easy Bible quiz. All you have to do is tell me, tell everybody, right? It's going to be open, yes or no. It's, a, it's yes or no, right? True or false, yes or no. Is tell me if this is in the Bible, all right? I'm going to give you, some, I'm going to give you some, a, 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 a phrase or a, something, and you tell me whether or not it's in the Bible, okay? So here's the first one. Show us, let's show us the first one. God helps those who help themselves. Is that in the Bible? No. Boy, you guys are good. Did I teach this already? Did I tell you guys this? All right, let's try this one. How about cleanliness is next to godliness? Man, how do you all know this? All right, let's try this one. God moves in mysterious ways. Ah, maybe I got you there. So it, it, how many people said no, God moves in mysterious ways, right? All right, you're, if you said no to all of them, you are correct. The first two were from Benjamin Franklin, but they've gotten into our American culture, haven't they? They've gotten into our Christian culture and American culture. The third one is the title of a hymn that was written, I got to get the guy's name right, it was written by William Cowper in 1774. But that title, that hymn title has stuck with us through all the years, right? I'm glad I got at least one, I caught you on one of them, right? That was the point, is that there's a lot of things that we believe or we assume are biblical or we assume are Christian that get into our values and belief systems that maybe aren't biblical at all, right? And so we have to think about that and what is the real biblical truth that we're looking for. So I want to unpack this a little bit. So here's where I'm going to ask you to go on a little journey with me before we get to the text this morning, because I think we need to unpack some of our own beliefs and values as Americans that we probably don't often think about. So we're going to take a look at this uh, illustration. You've probably seen it before. It's called the, you know, what people see and what, what's hidden beneath the surface of us. This is what's called the iceberg illustration, and they've been used it for different things, but you know, there's the tip of the iceberg, and then there's everything beneath the surface. And so if you look at this illustration, you'll see that on the surface of our lives, what people see is our behavior, our actions. And that's what people can see and is visible to, to us, right? Visible to others. Below the surface, though, on, going on with inside of us is our values and what we value over other things. So we might value one thing over another thing. But those values are connected to our beliefs, what we say we believe, right? Uh, what we just talked about, uh, cleanliness is next to God, and it could be a belief, right? Even though it may not be biblical. And so, or God works in mysterious ways, that might be a belief that we have and we assume, and that's part of a belief. But below that, below our behavior, values, and beliefs is something called worldview, our worldview. And I've talked about this before, but it's been a year, so we're going to remind ourselves of this idea of the worldview. That's where I want to go. We're going to, this is going to be a really deep sermon this morning. All right. Anyway, let's move on. Um, here's the definition of a worldview. Dr. Daryl Whiteman, he's a cultural anthropologist, defines it this way. Worldview is the central governing set of concepts, presuppositions, and values that a society lives by. Uh, fortunate for me, a couple weeks ago I was here in church and Dr. Daryl Whiteman was in church with us and we reconnected. Uh, I hadn't seen him for almost 
20 years, and he lives in Gig Harbor. He happened to be in church with us that Sunday. And I said, you know, I'm getting ready to preach this sermon series, and I'm thinking about worldview and how worldview affects our faith. Uh, do you have anything on that? So I, we've been emailing back and forth for the past couple of weeks, and he sent me some things. So I have to thank Dr. Whiteman for some of what I'm sharing with you this morning. So that's his definition. So here's a few other things to keep in mind about your, world, your worldview, my worldview. We all have it. We all have one. Here's the crazy thing. We're not consciously aware of it. Most of the time, we're not consciously aware of our worldview. It's also formed pretty much by the age of five. So you think about that. Your worldview has been shaped in the first five years of your life based on your upbringing, where you grew up, what, what your cultural background is. Whatever happened those first five years of life have probably influenced greatly your worldview today and how you see the world. It's, here's the other thing. How many people, you hear people say, well, I, I need proof, right? I, I only believe things that, I, that are proven, right? You hear this all the time in today's society, or in our enlightenment society. Here's the thing about worldviews. They're based on unproven assumptions about the world. In fact, nobody takes the time to actually prove whether they're true or not. They're unproven assumptions that we make about the world around us. We never verify whether they're true or not. We just work within that worldview. Kind of scary, isn't it? And then, here's the other thing. There's objective reality, and then there's our worldview, which is the lens through which we perceive what, real, what, what is reality. So think about that. So the objective reality is going on around us all the time, but our worldview is the lens through which we look at objective reality and make assumptions about reality. Again, kind of scary, isn't it? That maybe there's something else going on inside of us that we're not even aware of most of the time. So stay with me. I, I told you I'm going on a, we're going on a journey. We're going to make two more stops, okay? Next stop. Do you know that your worldview has different foci? That your worldview has different focuses that, are, that you're going to focus on within your worldview. So here's one example of a worldview and some different foci or focus, different focus of each of those. So one is material culture. In this worldview that I'm showing you right now, material culture makes up about 15% of the focus. Economics makes up another 15% of the focus. Relationships are a much greater portion of that worldview focus is 35%. And then religion is another large portion of that wor particular worldview focus. So look at this thing. This, this is one particular worldview and its, its focus and the, its foci and the ways that it looks at the world, right? And, and what's valuable to it. And when it says material culture, that's different than finances or economics. It's your physical life, your material life, okay? So that's one example. Here's another example, actually a uh, different example, totally different. This is another worldview focus where economics and material culture are more the focus of the worldview and relationships and religion are less a part of that worldview. Now, another question for you this morning. Of those two worldviews, which is yours? Which is yours? Well, number one or number two? Number one, number two. We're at the eye doctor. Number one, number two, number one. What, which lens looks better, right? You know how you go to the eye doctor and they go, which, which is clearer for you, right? Number one or number two? Which is clearer in your worldview? Which lens are you looking through, number one or number two? Right? How many people think number one is your worldview? All right? And how many people think number two? I'm going to go with number two. Who's with me on number two? 
Uh, if you said number two, it's interesting because number two is actually the American culture. Number two is more representative of American culture of which not all of us here in this room, but most of us, the first five years of our life were spent in which culture? The other one I showed you was what we would call uh, uh, Eastern worldview or a worldview from, a, or what we would call a supernatural worldview that leaves more room for God and community and relationships in it and less focus on, on material wealth or physical well-being and economics. So that's the difference, right? And I would suggest to you, now here, stay with me here, I would suggest to you that we are more American than Christian. That our worldview is focused more on American values and beliefs and worldview than it is on Christian kingdom worldview. Unless, I know some of you grew up, first five years spent in another culture or another country, you may have grown up uh, somewhere else, and that may be different for you, but I would say for us who live here, who grew up here, that second one focused on economics and material culture is probably more in line with our worldview. If you don't believe me yet, let me give you an example. How about when we pray as Christians? When we pray, what do we ask God for? What are our prayer requests? What are they? Go ahead, shoot. What's, a, what's some of our typical prayer requests? Healing, right? Healing, so physical well-being, right? Physical, material well-being. Parking place, place, yeah. (laughs) God bless me with the circumstance of my, right? And again, that's the material world. Um, Help me find a job, a career, you know, those, that's economic prayer request, right? Um, oftentimes, it's uh, travel mercies, protect me over as I travel. Again, that's looking at the material, physical life. And so, notice that even our prayer requests are focused more around economics and material, physical well-being than our relationships. Now, sometimes we do pray about our relationships. How often, though, are we praying for the spiritual health of my, my spiritual health or someone else's spiritual health, Right? Think about that, that I would say the majority of our prayer requests reflect our worldview. Now, compare that prayer, our prayer request to that of Chinese Christians. A Chinese Christian today is not praying for physical well-being or material wealth or a new job or travel mercies or a parking spot. What a Chinese Christian today is praying for, they, their prayer is something like this, God, help me be faithful in the midst of adversity. Help me be faithful in the midst of adversity. That's a totally different prayer request, isn't it? It's not about bless me. It's about help me, strengthen me, because I'm in this world that is against you. That's a totally different prayer request. And it also reflects different worldview, right? An Eastern worldview, right? So think about that. So that's one thing. That's one stop I wanted to stop at the focus. Let's take another stop in worldview world. That's redundant, sorry. There's, a, there's one other thing that everybody's worldview is affected by, and that is what they would call your or my ultimate allegiance. What are you and I ultimate, where's our ultimate allegiance in our worldview? Where's our allegiance? Now, here's some examples of allegiance. Could be God. 
God could be our primary, ultimate allegiance in our worldview. It could be career. Your or my career or vocation could be our ultimate allegiance. So everything about our worldview and how we see the world is driven by our allegiance to our career. Or everything in our worldview is driven by our allegiance to God. Or everything in our worldview could be driven by our allegiance to family. You know, it's all about the family and keeping the family intact and family systems and dynamics. That could be my allegiance. Or it could be, it maybe is, myself. You see, a lot of American culture is focused on an allegiance to self. To self. And that's why there's a rise in narcissism and self-absorption and self-help. All these things are a result of maybe an allegiance to self over family, career, and God. And so all these things tie in. So I wanted to stop there too because so one thing that our focuses affect our worldview, but also our allegiance affects our worldview. Now I raise this up because we see in the world today, and here's what I've been seeing. Uh, Just recently I mentioned a few weeks ago how You know, we had Pastor Josh Harris renounce the faith and leave his marriage. We had another worship leader, Hillsong worship leader, have doubts about their faith and consider leaving the faith. I've had conversations as after move. I've been here almost two years now, and I've had more than one conversation with people who were people of faith, who were Christians that have drifted away from the faith and drifted away from the faith community and have kind of called it quits. And they're just kind of drifting out there in the world. Kind of, they've kind of gone adrift. And I would suggest to you that maybe part of the drifting is that not because a Christian worldview has been challenged, but because an American Christian worldview has been challenged that we've somehow got our Christianity mixed up with our being American. (laughs) And then we look at our American worldview and we go, wait, where's God? I'm not being blessed and everything's not going well and I'm not comfortable and I'm not getting the parking space. And then I say, well, there must not be a God. And so I give up. But you've got the Chinese Christians on the other side of the world saying, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'll even spend seven years in jail. Why? Because they have an ultimate allegiance. They have an anchor for their soul. They have an anchor for their faith that is in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Paul said in the passage today? In verse 5, he says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Ourselves as servants. You know, I was talking with a young man who was in a church, in our church. He was a Christian young man. And I was talking about how God called us and Jesus taught us about servant leadership. And I remember his reaction. I I don't want to be called a servant. Let's change the name, Pastor. Now, who wants to be called a servant? We're We're not that. We're... We're, 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 we're wealthy Americans. We live in a nice neighborhood. Nobody here in this neighborhood wants to be called a servant. I was like, don't talk to me about it. <laughs> I think Jesus was the one that called us to it, right? But see, that's it. But what, what's going on? What's he reflecting, right? What's he reflecting from his beliefs and his values that may be connected to this worldview is 
I, God, God, is God really my ultimate allegiance, right? Is Jesus Christ our ultimate allegiance? Here's the crazy thing about this. We could have other allegiances and not even know it. Remember, this is subconscious. Remember, this is happening at a subconscious level. And so there may be other beliefs and values that are not biblical and allegiance that are not centered on God and Jesus Christ that are driving our worldview and how we see the world. It's scary, isn't it? Scary for me because I came to the conclusion at one point that I was probably more an American than a Christian. But that's a confession is good for the soul, folks, right? It helps us be aware. And I think this is the reason we drift spiritually. I think this is the reason we lose faith. I think this is the reason is because we don't have an anchor, right, to keep us from drifting too far because the currents are going to come, the storms are going to come, they're going to affect our lives and our faith. But how far will we drift, And how far we drift will depend on whether or not we have an anchor to our faith. Notice what Paul says as he writes later in the passage. One of the greatest verses, one of my favorite verses is this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, us. Notice that? That's a mention of the physical material life that is in a jar in the first century was weak and fragile and easily broken, and they would just go get a new jar. So think about that. A treasure in jars of clay to show that the, this all-surpassing power, all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Can you hear within Paul's words this idea that, yes, the circumstances of our lives are hard, But we don't lose heart because of our allegiance to God, because that we have an all-surpassing power in God that the world cannot offer us, but this all-surpassing power is from God. We have this power. So it doesn't matter what happens to us. We have God in our lives, and that God is unmovable. God is like the anchor, right? And that's the thing about anchor. Anchors are big and heavy and they sit on the bottom of the ocean and they don't move. The anchor is not the problem. In fact, the anchor is going to be there whether we are attached to it or not. That's the thing about God. God is going to be there in our lives whether we're attached to God, connected to God or not. God is going to be there. So that's indisputable. Well, you could dispute it, but again, not my words. Some about the Bible saying how God is immovable and unchangeable, right? So here's the thing. Um, I wanted to give you this analogy, right? So if God's the anchor, I think of Jesus as the chain that connects us to the anchor. Jesus was the mediator of our faith. He came and walked among us, gave his life for us, but he connected us to God. And then if, if you've ever, how many people have ever been on a boat? You've been on a boat, good. And have you noticed what they attach, I've been on like sailboats, and so we would just attach the anchor to like one of the deck cleats in the front of the bow of the boat. And so you'd wrap the rope or the chain and connect the chain to what's called a cleat. And that cleat is connected to the boat. And that I think of the Holy Spirit because that's the connection within us that connects us to God through Jesus Christ. So, that can, so I got the whole Trinity in here in this analogy. It's good. And actually, I have to think, uh, I actually was able to talk 
to a naval engineer, an expert in naval engineering last week. Her name's Courtney Ewing. I don't know if you know her, but she's a naval engineer. And she was asking me questions about this system. I was like, wait, 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 just you're losing me here, Courtney. But she was, she brought up this great point is that anywhere along that system, there could be failure. The anchor is not what fails. The chain that's linked to the anchor could fail if it's not the right chain. The deck cleat that attaches to the chain could, if it's a strong enough power, it could, stri- it could strip off the cleat from the decking. So she was saying, well, how are you going to secure this, Pastor Matt? Holy Spirit, Jesus, God. Make sure you've got the right anchor for the boat, the right chain, and make sure you've got a secure Holy Spirit in your working in your life, right? That's the analogy. So if you want to know more about failure in uh, that, just go talk to Courtney after the service. She'll fill you in. <laughs> See, the thing about an anchor, that when we're attached to that anchor and we've got that allegiance, we've got that connection, whatever the current does, our boat is going to stay within that general, general location, right? No matter what winds blow, what storms come to life, whatever the circumstances of our life are, our anchor will hold us in place. We'll hold our faith together. We will be able to do that. And that's exactly what Paul is describing here. This idea that no matter what is happening on the outside of us, that we stay firm in our faith. He says, and I hear my paraphrase version of what he says, Pressed, we're pressed, but we're not distressed. Because I like the way that rhymed. I thought that would be a better translation. But you know, when we're, what the translation here, distress means that I get, I'm like totally resigned. I give up. I call it quits. That's what distress means. There's so much pressure on me that I quit. I give up. That's total resignation. What Paul is saying is that we're pressed. There's a lot of pressure on us. But no matter how much pressure there is, I'm, we're not giving up. We're, we're not quitting. We're not giving into resignation, right? I love this quote I stumbled across and I'll share it with you. It doesn't matter how much milk you spill as long as you don't lose your cow. Right? That's in the Bible, right? No, no, it's not in the Bible. That's a farmer saying, right? But think about that, right? We're going to make mistakes. We're going to drift. We're going to make assumptions. We're going to go all over the place, Right? but don't lose our cow, right? We're going to spill a lot of milk in our faith at times, and we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to stumble, and we're going to doubt. We're going to be perplexed. We're going to be pressed. Just don't lose God, right? Just don't lose God in the midst of it. Stay anchored to God. Uh, Another translation would be perplexed, again, but not giving up. Paul's kind of repeating this, that you and I are going to have doubts about God's presence. We're going to have concerns about God. We're going to be skeptical at times, But there's this part of us, and there was a part of Paul that where at times when he was perplexed, he wasn't giving up on God. Because again, God's all-surpassing power was at work in him. God's all-surpassing power was an anchor in his life. And so that when those doubts came, when those skepticisms came, when those challenges to his faith came, he had this anchor. I, I, I couldn't retranslate this one, but persecuted but not abandoned persecuted but not abandoned. Do you know that no matter what is going on in your life, that God has not abandoned you? That's what Paul is being reminded of here. He's saying, because Paul faced riots, stoning, jail, 
death, he was near death several times in his, his uh, ministry. But he never felt that God had abandoned him. He never sensed that God wasn't at work in him, even though the circumstances of his life, of his life were falling apart. Isn't that awesome to be able to have that assurance that God's power is at work in us even when the circumstances don't look like it? Because why? Because maybe our American worldview is dictating our understanding of how God's working rather than God's really all-surpassing power at work. Maybe the lenses with which we're looking at the circumstances of our life are not an accurate reflection of what God is up to in our lives. Here's the thing. What Paul is saying here is that the pressure within him is greater than the pressure outside of him. You see, if the pressure inside of you is greater than the pressure outside of you, then it'll be okay. You know what I'm saying? The pressure within. First John says something like this. I think it was First John said, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The one in you, God's all-surpassing power at work in you and me is greater than whatever's happening in the world. That's an anchor. That's a way to hold on to faith in the midst of a storm, right? And here's, here's my last translation, last one. I get knocked down, but I get up again. Bump, 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 bump. I tried to get Ed to play this this morning, but I don't know why he wouldn't. Had to go with holy, holy, holy. <laughs> close, yeah, close. But, you know, if, if a Christian were to play a position on a football team, you know, it wouldn't be wide receiver. I like wide receiver because wide receivers, they just run down the field, catch the ball, and go in the end zone. You know, that's, that's well, wide receiver. That, Christian wouldn't be a wide, wide receiver. Christian wouldn't be a lineman, defensive line person, lineman, uh, defensive or offensive, right? It wouldn't be on the line because that's just blocking and tackling, right? You know, it's, it's important on the field, but I don't think a Christian would be in that position. I, I'm definitely, a Christian would not be a quarterback who deflates footballs to try and get better passes. That's not what a Christian would do. All right. I think a Christian is a running back because a running back runs two, three yards, gets knocked down, gets back up again. Grabs the ball again, runs another two, three yards, gets knocked down, gets back up again. I get knocked down, but I get up again. That song's still in my head, sorry. It's going to be in all day. But you see what I'm saying? A running back. We're, Christians are running backs. <laughs> they get knocked down, and they will get knocked down, but a Christian, because of their anchor, because of the all-surpassing power of God at work in them, they get up again. They have God's power at work in them to get them back on their feet. They don't get knocked down. You know, let me ask this question. Where's your spiritual life this morning? Is it drifting? <laughs> Has it been drifting? Have you been looking at other things other than the power of God at work in you to determine whether or not God is with you or abandoned you or given up on you? What's got you drifting today? Because part of the lens that Paul has and writes about here is actually the lens with which we need to begin to see the world again. Here's what Paul says, and I'm going to read all three verses here 
We only read verse 16 this morning, and that was my failure, but let's read the last two as well. Here's the point. Paul said this at the beginning of the passage. He says it again. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, interpretation for Matt, material life, economics, (laughs) but is seen but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Eternal. You and I, whatever we're going, know that God has not given up on you and me. God still loves us deeply, and I think the pressure of God's love needs to be greater within us than outside of us, and that God has not abandoned us, that God is actually renewing us day by day. God is up to something in our lives. God is doing something, but it may not be the things that we see. It may just be the things we can't see that God is up to. I want to go back to June when some of us were outside of this church being pressed and perplexed as we ran up this hill on 3rd Avenue. We did the rock and roll half marathon and some of us did the full marathon. And, you know, it, to a T, everybody who hit this hill, right, lost a little heart. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, all, everybody who got here, in fact, I saw people walking, and I said, hey, that's what I'm going to do now for the next mile. I'm going to walk, right? I know, Andy, you probably didn't walk at all. You probably just breezed right through it, right? Uh, but we're going. But everybody who got to this hill at mile 10 of 13 for me and uh, uh, worse for people on the full marathon, but they got to this hill, this is like mile 10 to 11 out of 13 miles, Right? And everybody, when they got to this hill, everybody around me, the other people I talked to, it was like, oh, you know, pressed, perplexed. (laughs) The perplexed was, why did they put this hill here in this route, right? (laughs) Who designed this course, right? You know, there's this perplexity going on. There's this pressure going on. And, but yet, nobody gave up. You know, I didn't give up. Because I had too many people watching here on the sideline at the church. I couldn't give up. It's all about people, right? But anyway, but none of us gave up. Why did we not give up? Why did we keep going? Why did we go through the pain and the perplexity and all those things? Why did we keep going? I know for me, and I've used this, said this before, I knew there was a finish line. I knew that there was a finish line, and at that finish line, there would be people cheering, and there would be pictures to be taken, and there'd be other people to say, we made it, we did it. And that's what Paul's saying. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on the hill in front of us, not on the people struggling around us, but we know even though I couldn't see the finish line, there was a finish line. I couldn't see it, but it was there. And I think that's what Paul is saying as well, is that there's a finish line. There's a, there's, a, there's a celebration for all of us that this is not the end for us as Christians. This is just the journey. 
This is just part of the walk. This is just what we're going through until we get to the finish line. But we don't lose heart. We keep going because we have an anchor to our faith in Jesus Christ, in God, and in the Holy Spirit working in us. Amen? Let's pray together.